You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, I've got a terrific show lined up for you today. Joining me in segments two and three is Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Uh, Mark is a prolific author in the financial sector. He's the proprietor of dollarcollapse.com, and he is the publisher of the bitcoincapitalist.com. I'm going to get his perspective on all things economic and crypto in segments two and three of today's program. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Also, let me remind you, it is the month of February, which means that I have a brand new February special report for you. The special report for the month of February is titled IRA Tax Strategies. If you'd like to get a copy of the report, which is highly advisable in my view, if you have an IRA or a 401k, go to requestyourreport.com and I'll not only send you the February special report, I'll also send you a copy of my updated revenue sourcing book for 2024. All those resources are free and again, available at requestyourreport.com. You know, here on the program, one of the themes that I often talk about are the economic patterns that repeat themselves throughout history. Thomas Jefferson told us over 200 years ago that if we put private bankers in charge of monetary policy, we will get inflation followed by deflation. And of course, uh, that has proven itself time and time again to be true. Now, this cycle of inflation followed by deflation is unnoticed by many due to the fact that this is a long cycle. When you study history, this cycle can take anywhere from 60 to 100 years to complete, and it is tied directly to the type of currency in place at the time. Now, historically speaking, when we get to the end of this cycle, the canaries in the coal mine, so to speak, are debt defaults, bank failures, and then ultimately deflation. Now, ever since the Federal Reserve began the policy of increasing interest rates and tightening in the name of controlling inflation, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you know I have been adamant in my belief that it wouldn't take long and the Fed would reverse course. They would pivot, as the term now has become uh, known to be. Now, they would do this in an attempt to stave off a deflationary crash like occurred in the 1930s. Now, there is another reason for that as well uh, that I will cover in this segment. Now, the Fed has now said that interest rate cuts may now not happen until later this year. They might be off the table. Uh, I have not changed my mind. Now, one of the reasons for this is that when you look at the debt facts of the United States government, it's hard to come to any other conclusion. Now, we're all aware that the government of the United States officially has more than $34 trillion in debt. Now, we can add to that the unfunded liabilities of Social Security, the unfunded liabilities of Medicare and other government programs, and we get a fiscal gap that is much, much higher. According to Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff, that fiscal gap is now over $200 trillion. But let's focus only on the $34 trillion in official debt. That is a widely known fact. Less well-known 
is the fact that the U.S. government will need to finance more than $10 trillion this year alone. Now, I said finance, but what I should say is finance or refinance. Now, from where I sit, I think it's going to be very difficult for the U.S. government to accomplish that without the Federal Reserve becoming the buyer of last resort for this government debt. Now, according to an article published on Apollo Academy, Academy, there is $8.9 trillion of government debt that will mature over the next year. Now, what does that mean? It means that in the past, some country, some person, some entity has loaned the U.S. government money by purchasing U.S. government bonds, and those bonds are now up for renewal. They are maturing. When you buy government debt, you can buy it for various time frames. And depending on the time frame that you select, that debt matures at a certain point in time, at which point you can get your principal back. The loan will be repaid. So there's $8.9 trillion that the government of the United States will need to repay or refinance this year. That's an amazingly high number. Now, added to that will be whatever the deficit is in 2024. Now, there will be a deficit. According to the Congressional Budget Office, the deficit will be $1.4 trillion. I happen to believe it will likely be higher than that, given the fact that this is an election year. I fully expect we'll see some sort of package passed to attempt to appeal to voters this year. Uh, But even if we don't, we're north of $10 trillion in U.S. government bonds that someone has to buy. Now, my question is, given the state of U.S. government finances, who's going to buy $10 trillion in U.S. government debt? Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but my sense is the Federal Reserve will have to step in and be the buyer of last resort. Now, the next question, of course, is, will this reflate markets? Will this cause stocks to go higher and real estate to go even higher? The answer is, I don't know, but at some point, ultimately, the Fed will not be able to reflate these asset bubbles. Regardless, I believe that this particular set of circumstances will result in more consumer price inflation and ultimately declining asset prices as stagflation sets in. Now, stagflation is an economic condition that is characterized as higher price inflation. We pay more for everything that we buy and a contracting or shrinking economy. It is a very, very ugly situation. Now, as I said at the outset, as this cycle concludes, the canaries in the coal mine are debt defaults, bank failures, and then ultimately deflation. Now, we're starting to see the beginnings of that. A New York Fed survey published last week indicated that in the fourth quarter of 2023, Auto loan delinquencies reached levels not seen since right after the Great Recession more than a decade ago. 
Actually, the Great Recession occurred at the time of the financial crisis. So we're going back really about 15 years ago. Now, the number of auto loan borrowers that are behind on their payments hit 7.7% recently, nearly 8%. That means nearly 1 in 12 auto loan borrowers are behind on their payments, and they are going up. Now, we haven't seen that level of payment delinquencies since right after the Great Recession. Now, part of this is obviously the fact that inflation continues to accelerate and it's consuming a lot of the discretionary income of borrowers who have auto loans. However, due to higher interest rates and rising car prices, which again can be linked back to inflation, this this whole phenomenon kind of feeds on itself. The number of buyers with high monthly auto loan payments is going up. And Edmonds report, many of you are probably familiar with Edmonds, they track auto data. The percentage of drivers with a car payment of more than $1,000 a month is now at an all-time high of 17.1%. That is nearly one in five auto loans that have a payment that requires the borrower to make a payment of more than $1,000 a month. Now, there are some crazy examples of auto payments on certain vehicles of $2,500 to $3,000 a month, which absolutely blows my mind, but that's where we are. So when will this deflation kick in? I cannot tell you when, but the what if you study history, is easily predictable. That's the topic of my revenue sourcing book. It also contains strategies to help you protect yourself from what might lie ahead. And if you go to requestyourreport.com, I'll send you a copy of the revenue sourcing book as well as this month's special report, IRA Tax Strategies. So again, the website, requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Mark Jeftovic. If you're a longtime listener, you'll recognize uh, Mark as the, uh, I'll use the term proprietor of the website, dollarcollapse.com. They have a breaking news section on that site that gives you links to uh, a lot of terrific news stories. I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, you can also learn more about Mark's work uh, free at bombthrower.com. That's bombthrower.com. And he is the publisher of the Bitcoin Capitalist. You can more learn more about that at bitcoincapitalist.com. Mark, welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us. Hey, Dennis. Great to be here. Always, always enjoy talking with you. Well, Mark, let's just start with uh, here we are in 2024. Uh, the Fed uh, in December said that rate cuts are on the table. They now say that, you know, rate cuts will be postponed to like May anyway. 
what do you think the Fed does here moving ahead in 2024? Well, I've been saying it for several months now, probably since mid-23, that the Fed has started a slow-motion pivot. And in fact, I think most of the central banks have started a slow-motion pivot. And what that looks like is jawboning tough, you know, jawboning hawkishness, and really being unable to raise rates any higher, even though inflation hasn't come down to the targets. They have to pretend like it has. They have to declare victory and withdraw and drag it out as much as possible and then finally capitulate and start lowering, lowering rates. Um, that's going to drive inflation. It's going to drive asset bubbles. It's going to drive wealth inequality. It's going to drive a whole bunch of things that got them in this mess in the first place. But there's no other alternative because they can't raise rates without destroying the financial system. And the Canadian bank... Uh, you know, Bank of Canada is pausing. The Bank of England is pausing. It's, um, it's they're moving like a peloton right now. Well, Mark, when you look at, uh, I'll just talk about U.S. government finances for a minute. You know, cost to service the interest on the debt is now a trillion dollars this year. Uh, I read a piece and uh, talked about it on last week's program that uh, you know, with a one and a half trillion dollar deficit, the U.S. government has to finance or refinance about $10 trillion in debt this year. Can that be done with honest money or is the Fed going to be the buyer of last resort? And that's another reason they have to do what you have predicted they're going to do. Yeah, it's again, there's no real alternative here. The um, I think I saw a similar statistic talking about the same thing, that 21% of all federal like government receipts are servicing the interest on the debt that's up from 15% the year before. Uh, Lawrence Lepard was putting out um, in his quarterly rec- uh, uh, investor shareholder letter for his fund that uh, like a 33% of, of uh, federal debt is maturing in the next uh, 12 to 18 months. So like, there's a whole pile of debt rolling over. The deficits are blowing out, like a trillion-dollar deficit. It's going to be even more probably this year. Um, there, and, and nobody's really showing up at these auctions other than you know the Fed is going to have to step in and monetize this stuff. So, uh, and they can't do it at higher rates. It just can't. So that's going to ripple through the entire system. And, and we saw that regional banking crisis last year uh, around this time. And, and it seems to be like something's coming unglued under the hood now, again, in the same sector. So that really, everything is like a tension wire. They can't really even nudge it another quarter point higher without everything breaking loose. So yeah, they're going to have to lower rates. They're going to have to monetize their own deficits. And that's a formula for inflation right there. Mark, you made a, I agree with you. And uh, you made a comment that, uh, you know, easy money policies by the Fed will reflate asset bubbles. Um, At what point does the market react differently? Do they say, you know, we're we're at a point that this is, uh, you know, we're we're on a road to nowhere. We're on a road to an inevitable uh, financial system crash. At what point uh, will the Fed be unable to reflate these asset bubbles? It's a great question. I think, you know, these asset bubbles will reflate 
just because of the way the fiat system is built that the money is evolving. But what will change in, is the nature of these asset bubbles. You're gonna, what happens usually between these huge uh, up cycles in these asset bubbles is a change of leadership. So before this tightening cycle, we had what people were calling, you know, euphemistically, the everything bubble. And you saw a lot of profitless unicorns getting billion-dollar valuations. You saw this back uh, sort of fad where companies were going public before they even had a company, and, and they were getting these million-billion-dollar valuations. I think what happens this time on this go-round is there is a little bit of sobering that happens in the investing public, and people realize, you know what? These ephemeral unicorns that have no profits and no business models, we're not going to just jump on those like they're meme stocks to try and protect our, our sort of capital base and our wealth. We're actually going to buy concrete things. We're going to buy real businesses with real profits. We're going to buy commodities. We're going to buy stuff. We're going to buy precious metals. We're going to buy uh, Bitcoin. It's going to be this real big shift, I think, from unicorns to commodities and actual businesses and things like that. So that's that's what it sort of looks like when the wider public or the investor class, for that matter, sort of wakes up and says the Fed has kind of lost the plot. There's nothing they can do to destroy the currency. We've got to move into something that's going to hold its value that isn't a unicorn with no business model. Well, if you're just tuning in, my guest today is Mr. Mark Jeffsevic. He's the proprietor at dollarcollapse.com. They have a breaking news section there that I often refer to. I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, you can get his um, free commentary at bombthrower.com, and he's also the founder of the bitcoincapitalist.com. Uh, Mark, uh, continuing along these lines, uh, what's your take on recession. To me, the reason we're not in a recession is that the U.S. government has a high level of deficit spending. And if that goes away, we are already in recession. Um, do you think the Fed can uh, kick this can down the road? Or do you think, you know, we're seeing an official recession this year? You know, even when you see an official recession, they kind of, um, sort of revised the meaning of the word recession. So you're not in an official recession. We saw that happen <laughs> in 2023 or was it 2022? So I, I find that's sort of splitting hairs, like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Uh, the economy is like really hard and horrible right now. I mean, there's layoffs across almost every sector. People are losing their jobs. Uh, people are having a hard time keeping up with the cost of living. And uh, whether you want to call it a recession or not, uh, we're not in a boom right now. We're not in a we're not in a rosy economy. Things are tough. People are scared. Businesses are reining in. And if you want to call it an official recession, you can. Uh, I just think it's uh, it's just a tough slog right now. Now, whether you get an actual, you know, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, uh, yeah, I mean that wouldn't surprise me even though things that damage the economy grow the GDP nominally. But, you know, it's not really um, a, a useful measure anymore. But the economy is in horrible shape right now. That can't be denied. 
You know, Mark, I think sometimes uh, people forget the fact that this uh, devaluation of all fiat currencies, but in particular, you know, most of our listeners here in the United States, uh, you know, as a dollar devalues, that kind of skews the reported economic data. It makes, you know, stock values look better. It makes GDP numbers look better. Uh, uh, to, to what extent uh, is economic growth simply a, a factor of a reported economic growth, I should say, simply a factor of currency devaluation? I think it's a huge factor. I mean, I even think when you look at, you know, Char- Charlie Munger passed away recently and people look at his career and it's like, oh, look at the Berkshire Hathaway and the Warren Buffett. And by, you know, no denying they were they were next level investors that uh, had 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 a gift for it. But you look at the history of like a Berkshire Hathaway or another company that compounded over decades, it kind of tracks the growth of, of fiat money kind of tracks M2. And I've read a few good books about real estate, like a, a, a good one. I can't remember the author's name, The Secret Life of Real Estate. It basically says that real estate basically tracks the inflation rate over the long, long term. And so this this sort of tacit assumption that stocks always go up in the long run, it's like, yeah, when you're printing money all the time, then everything goes up over the long run. And I think that is really not taken into account when a lot of these people come out and talk about this this relentless growth in GDP or this relentless growth in 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 you know asset values. A lot of that is being it's got this tailwind of just currency devaluation. Well, Mark, we've got uh, just a little bit of time left in this segment. Uh, For our listeners that have not heard of your work at BitcoinCapitalist.com, would you be kind enough to share a bit of an overview? Sure. So the BitcoinCapitalist.com, it's for people who are investors, business owners, um, capital allocators who want to allocate a portion of their wealth to uh, Bitcoin in the crypto economy. So we focus mainly on that segment. Uh, we do comment on precious metals and what we see going on in, in the rest of the asset classes. But then when we get tactical and we focus, we have a uh, basket of crypto and Bitcoin equities, uh, 10 names. We actually have a value investing approach to this. Believe it or not, it does happen in crypto and in Bitcoin. And, um, you know, 10 names, pretty focused. We don't do trading. We're not looking at chart patterns or anything like that. We're looking for, you know, we want two Amazon of cryptos out of this portfolio. And so we put out a a mid-month portfolio update every month and then a monthly macro letter. And um, we're going to actually cut off new memberships uh, soon when one of two things happens, when Bitcoin hits a new all-time high. Or the having comes, which is going to be in April, whichever comes first, we're going to stop accepting new members just because um, we found from experience that we want people who have the long-term vision, not the people who are scrambling to get in at the top. So, Well, my guest today is Mr. Mark Jeftovic. To learn more about the Bitcoin Capitalist, it's BitcoinCapitalist.com. His free content is at BombThrower.com. I'll continue my conversation with Mark when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest, Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Uh, Mark is the proprietor at DollarCollapse.com. They have a breaking news section where there are links to many, many news stories. I use that as a resource frequently. I'd encourage you to check it out. His free content is available at BombThrower.com. And he is the publisher of The Bitcoin Capitalist. You can go to BitcoinCapitalist.com to learn more. So, Mark, uh, you know, the, the, the big theme here, and I, I think this, this, this fact maybe is lost on a lot of aspiring retirees, those who are putting money away in a 401k. And that is that we, we see, seem to be in this slow motion move toward currency changes, which, you know, has occurred many times throughout history. You think about Weimar Germany, which maybe wasn't so subtle, but John Law's France, the Roman Empire. Oh. There are many, many, many examples. Aren't we seeing, uh, you know, history just repeat itself here? Yeah, I think we are. I mean, there's, there's a when you said currency changes, there's two things that came to my mind actually, and one of them might be a little outside of what you were expecting. But first, you know, currencies devalue themselves to practical, practically being worthless time and time again, especially be it currencies, like currencies that are backed by nothing, currencies that can just be printed out of thin air. I mean, I've got um, a classic book. I can't remember the author that is sort of um, be it money. It's just showing like even from ancient Chinese dynasties through the Middle Ages, the Civil War, Weimar, Zimbabwe, like every single fiat currency, the chart looks the same. It's just down and to the right. They just devalue themselves to zero. The other currency change that for a second I thought you were alluding to, and I'll just mention it briefly, is there's going to be this pivot to central bank digital currencies worldwide as sort of a Hail Mary to save these fiat currencies and get another couple decades of runway out of them. That's another thing that if you're saving money in a 401k for retirement, you want to be aware of because uh, there may be some conditions on that wealth you have stashed away in the banking system come time to retire or want to get at it. So Mark, uh, since you went there, I'm going to go there. These central bank digital currencies, uh, you described them as a Hail Mary. I think that's a, a terrific analogy to use to describe them. Uh, you know, if, if, if central bank digital currencies actually become reality, uh, my, my take is, as, as you think about it, that, you know, if, if you take cash out of circulation and make everybody use a digital currency without some, you know, interim period where, you know, both are used, uh, you know, you're kind of forcing something down the throats of the citizenry, and that may not sit too well. Do you think that central bank digital currencies can actually be a reality uh, before we see some type of financial system reset? Well, they're, uh, they're a reality now in some parts of the world. We're, we track this every month as a Bitcoin capitalist, the, the current deployment of central bank digital currencies. And I'm, I'm actually writing a book uh, on the CBDC survival guide. So I'm kind of really deep into this topic. There's uh, retail CBDCs going right now in Venezuela, in um, uh, Nigeria, in Jamaica, uh, a few others, none of them are going well. <laughs> uh, Nigeria, especially massive public rejection, uh, despite the government trying to demonetize cash and everything. It's just that. So it's really, 
a hard sell for the public, uh, the early indications are. It depends if it gets to a point where uh, the economy is so bombed out that they have to implement things like universal basic income, then people will take the, take the CBDCs if it's what they need to you know, have their economic survival depend on it. And so my advice to everyone, and hopefully, you know, doesn't apply to many of your listeners, is uh, not to be reliant on government entitlement programs for your economic sustenance at all, because that's going to be the rails of how these CBDC systems come into effect. So let's talk a bit. Mark, I mean, the, the, the what is fairly easy to predict. The when, of course, is the million-dollar question. Uh, you pointed out that, you know, going back throughout history, when you look at uh, a chart of purchasing powers of fiat currencies, eventually they all end up worthless. In fact, I think it was Voltaire in the 1600s that wrote that all currencies eventually return to their intrinsic value. And with fiat currencies, of course, that's zero. So to, to the extent that you're comfortable, um, you know, do, do you have any idea or, or inkling as to what timing might be on, on, on this whole progression? You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is Douglas Casey that says, just because something is inevitable doesn't make it imminent. <laughs> so, um, and, and things, <laughs> things have happened, uh, things have happened, things have managed to drag on far, far longer than I could have ever have imagined. You know, I thought, uh, I've been thinking since 2010, 2012, this can't go on much longer, and it just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. COVID hits, and the, the monetary presses ramp up even harder. Um, you know, it, it really, it really, it's impossible to say other than, Probably when even people like you and I who are expecting this kind of thing have our guard down and think, ah, well, you know, who knows how much longer they can keep it going, then wham, you know, suddenly it's going to happen. It's just, uh, there is so much impetus and will to keep this system on the rails. And I don't fault anybody for it because the alternatives are terrible, really. Like nobody wants a hyperinflationary blowout. Even people like myself who are expecting it. I don't want it to happen. I don't want the system to come apart, it seems. But um, there's so much will from policymakers and legislators and politicians and everyone, really, to just keep this thing held together with spit and twist ties, that it's going to go on for a long time. I really have no idea. And the only other thing I'll say about it quickly is the other dynamic when I wrote, um, you know, a piece called the Crypto Capitalist Manifesto that I put out in 21, which kicked off the whole, you know, newsletter and all of that, I was talking in 10 and 20 year increments for what I saw coming. And then it happened much faster than I thought. So we had capital controls come in in Canada in like 2022. Uh, this was supposed to happen 20 years from now, not a year after I started writing about them. So we have this sort of dual dynamic where things that I didn't expect for 20 years are happening now and things that I thought were going to crash 20 years ago are just seem to just keep going and going and going. So, so 
I'm hearing, Mark, that, you know, if somebody's listening to this, they've got money saved for retirement, that certainly you don't want to keep all of your wealth stored in one currency. You're going to want to d- diversify your, your currency risk, to use that term. So what advice would you give someone? Gold, silver, Bitcoin, what, what would you tell them? I like everything that is not fiat money. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I like I like physical gold, physical silver. I like the gold stocks and silver stocks to get that sort of leverage from having never, never ending call options. I like having a little bit of real Bitcoin um, in self custody, not on an exchange. So, and if you're like a family office or institutional, then you're using a proper like institutional grade custodian uh, with like a multi sig key. Um, I like things like real estate and businesses that produce cash flow, uh, just things that actually aren't fiat money, things you trade fiat money for that actually hold their value and can produce income and, uh, and you know, give you some diversification. I wouldn't diversify out of the dollar to go into Swiss francs or German marks or Canadian dollars. They're all headed in the same direction. So, um, I'm hearing you say that because in the first segment, you mentioned that uh, you expect that commodities uh, will be a good place to be. Um, So are are you leaning more toward gold, silver, um, you know, uh, you know, Bitcoin maybe uh, as an alternative currency, or are you suggesting even some of the, uh, you know, maybe less invested in commodities like agricultural commodities and things like that? Yeah, things like that. Uh, Gold, silver, Bitcoin, um, agriculture, farmlands. Energy is going to be huge, um, you know, like it or not, like energy will be huge for the next foreseeable future. And uh, yeah, so it's like a hard asset kind of movement, kind of shift, super cycle coming. Well, this is probably not a fair question to ask you with two minutes left in this segment, but uh, to what extent uh, do you believe the BRICS coalition that have now added, you know, notably United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, uh, to what extent do you think uh, the BRICS coalition and their, you know, openly stated goal of developing a gold-backed trade currency will advance the devaluation of all the fiat currencies we've been talking about? Yeah, it's it's definitely going to have a factor that's one of the things that has accelerated far quicker than I thought it would with the whole de-dollarization theme. Like I thought, okay, the U.S. dollar, world reserve currency, can't last forever, won't last forever, but it's probably going to take a long time to run down or to sort of be phased out. You know, I'm, I'm my main business. I'm in the software industry and the web industry, and we have this concept of the long tail, right? The long tail of the U.S. dollar world reserve currency, very, very long. And then again, what we saw happening with this whole move to de-dollarization started happening very quickly, self-inflicted, by the way, because the U.S. government used their their U.S. dollar reserve status as a weapon 
against two other nation states. doesn't matter what you think of those other nation states, but it forced every nation state on the planet to rethink their U.S. dollar reserves. So that really accelerated the move to create alternative currency blocks. And so now we have one. And we're already seeing some of these countries saying, well, we're no longer going to price our oil exports in U.S. dollars. We're going to, or they'll do one-off sales to a country like China in gold or in yuan. So this, this is one of the, the driving factors that is going faster than I thought it was going to go. And, um, yeah, it's really moving. And, uh, you know, there's still you're still going to be able to spend U.S. dollars around the world for a long time, but you're probably going to have to spend a lot more of them to get equivalent services and products. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Uh, he is the proprietor at DollarCollapse.com. They've got a breaking news section as well as uh, a lot of other free information. I'd encourage you to check out uh, Mark's uh, free content is available at BombThrower.com. And I'd encourage you also to check out BitcoinCapitalist.com, uh, which is also Mark's publication. So, Mark, always a pleasure to have you on the program. I always get great feedback when you're on. Thank you for jo- thank you for joining us today. Love to have you back down the road. Thanks, Dennis. Always a pleasure. I'll just one minor correction. It's the BitcoinCapitalist.com. I wasn't able to, to get the other domain yet. But, uh, My apologies. TheBitcoinCapitalist.com. <laughs> TheBitcoinCapitalist.com. My apologies. And uh, we'll return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. And special thanks again to Mr. Mark Jeftovic for joining us on today's program. In the first segment, I talked a bit about this historical economic pattern that keeps repeating itself. And it's the cycle of inflation followed by deflation. Now, historically speaking, this cycle moving to deflation often see signs that we're nearing the end of the cycle, and those signs are debt defaults and bank failures. And certainly, we saw some bank failures last year. Uh, We're hearing more news of banks that are on the proverbial rope, so to speak, this year. But why does this happen? Why does this cycle keep repeating itself? Well, it's essentially that currency changes over time, and today's currency is debt. I know that's a hard concept to get your head around, but bear with me for just a minute. See, since 1971, when the link between the dollar and gold was eliminated, U.S. dollars have been loaned into existence. Banks today have a 10% reserve requirement at a minimum, which means that if a bank is operating at these minimum reserve requirements, if a depositor puts $100,000 into a bank, that bank has to reserve 10% and can loan out the other 90% or $90,000. This process can continue as currency moves from bank to bank, creating more currency by the very, but by no, for no reason other than that currency is moving. So 
when the Fed wanted to jumpstart the economy and get people move, get the economy moving again, they encouraged people to borrow. And that's really expansion through debt, which is not expansion at all. And at a certain point, debt reaches the point that it cannot be serviced. And that's when you see this cycle move to deflation. Now, there are some signs that we are getting closer to that. And by the way, if you're just joining me, my updated revenue sourcing book for 2024 not only goes through this cycle in detail, it also gives you some strategies to consider for your own personal financial situation. When you request that book, along with this month's IRA tax strategies report by visiting requestyourreport.com, I'll send it all to you free and without further obligation. Now, Ms. Shedlock, uh, who has been a past guest here on this program, reported that credit card debt surged to a record high in the fourth quarter. Along with credit card debt reaching a new high, so did the number of credit card delinquencies, those behind 90 days or more on their payments. Here are some numbers. Aggregate household debt increased by $212 billion in the fourth quarter of 2023 alone. That's up 1.2% from the third quarter. Household debt now stands at $17.5 trillion. That's up $3.4 trillion since the end of 2019, just before 2020 and COVID. So households are continuing to rack up debt. That will lead to deflation as if there's too much debt to be paid, it will not be paid. Mortgage balances up $112 billion during the fourth quarter. Mortgage balances now stand at $12.25 trillion. Balances on home equity loans or home equity lines of credit up $11 billion in the fourth quarter from the third quarter. That is the seventh consecutive quarterly increase. And there's now $360 billion in outstanding home equity loan balances. That's a third of a trillion dollars plus in outstanding home equity loans. Credit card balances. I remember last year on the program when we said credit card balances are now approaching a trillion. They are now at $1.13 trillion and increased $50 billion in the fourth quarter of 2024 alone. Auto loan balances also up, up by $12 billion from the third quarter to the fourth quarter. That upward trajectory and outstanding auto loan balances has been in place since the second quarter of 2020. There is now $1.6 trillion in auto loans. Now, when you look at other debt, retail cards, other consumer loans, miscellaneous, those grew by $25 billion. So here we have every category of consumer debt reaching a new high in the fourth quarter of last year. Now, just because deflation is inevitable, as my guest Mark Jeftovic talked about today, it doesn't mean that it is imminent. However, we know that at a certain point, deflation will be the inevitable outcome. Now, we don't know when, but we know it's getting closer by the day. And that's why I would encourage you to take advantage of my free resources this week. I have for you an IRA tax management report. That's my February special report. If you have an IRA or 401k, uh, this report 
contain some strategies you might consider to get more out of your IRA. When you have an IRA or a 401k, the question is not, are you going to pay the taxes on your account? The question is, when are you going to choose to? It is a tax time bomb, if you will. And there are strategies you can use to potentially uh, lessen the tax pain and maximize your IRA and 401k to you and your family. I'll also send you a copy of the 2024 updated revenue sourcing book. This is all available by visiting requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. You'll see a place to enter your name and address on the website. Just go ahead and let me know where to mail this information, and I'll be glad to do so free of charge and with no further obligation. So again, that is at requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Glad you decided to tune in. I'll be back again next week.